Welcome to the Central Christian Church Message Podcast. We are passionate about leading people to discover and fully own faith in Jesus. It is our desire that the following message inspires you to take your next steps in your own faith. Let's dive in. Good morning, Central. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So glad to have you here. Thank you for being in this room and whichever campus you are watching this from. We are acknowledging that we know you're there. You matter to us. You're a part of us. And you might be watching this online. We want to welcome you as well. Uh, Why don't we go ahead right now and just open your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. We'll be there in in just a few moments. And uh, I... I told you at the end of the message last week that I was going to tell you about one of the worst things I ever did to my son, and I'm going to keep that promise. Now, before I tell you what I did, you're going to ask me, what was I thinking? And the correct answer to that question is what? I wasn't. I I absolutely was not thinking. Here's here's what happened, okay? This goes way back. I, I want to say that Jeremy was in about the fifth grade. Um, that's where I remember, that's where he remembers it. Um, uh, this is before uh, Diamondbacks baseball came to Arizona, all right? And my son Jeremy is a, uh, just an, a crazy, crazy, crazy uh, Yankees fan these days. But in that day, uh, it was uh, the Dodgers. He was a Dodgers fan. And if you know him, it's hard to believe. How did he convert? I don't know. You met somebody, I don't know. Uh, but, but he was a big, he was this crazy fan uh, of the Dodgers. But there was one player on the Dodgers that he was most crazy about. All right. Now, you might or might not have heard of this guy. Uh, he is a big deal in his day. His name was Oral Hershiser. Okay. We have a picture. This is Oral Hershiser. And uh, Jeremy was smitten with Oral Hershiser. And so um, one day, well, I don't remember where we were, but we were somewhere and Oral uh, had been injured. He was rehabbing. And there was a game where he was going to pitch. And so Jeremy and I think my family went, we went to watch this game. And uh, I'm just telling you, he was over the top. It was, everything was Oral Hershiser. So now with that all said, um, he went to Highland Elementary School. Highland is right next to our Mesa campus. So those of you in Mesa know uh, where that is. Uh, I was a youth pastor at the time. I had a couple of my friends who were on our youth staff were sitting in my office and Jeremy was at school, and I had a baseball, just a regular beat-up baseball, just like this one, uh, that was on my desk. And I don't know why this thought crossed my mind, but I picked up a pen, and I autographed it with Oral Hershiser's autograph. And Jeremy, uh, after school, would come hang out with us. And so he walks over, and this ball is sitting on my desk, and he sees it, and he sees a name, and he recognizes it as Oral Hershiser. And he goes nutso. I don't know how to explain it, but it was like, Dad, where the, how did you get that? And then it was like, guys, I, I knew I was doomed. It was like, this is going to go really bad. There is no easy way out of this one. And he was just like jumping up and down. And he, can I have it? Can I have it? Of course you can have it, son. Of course you can. It's very valuable. And so he is so excited. And then I realized I've got a real huge dilemma because I've just totally lied to him. I, it was meant to be a prank. It was just meant to be fun, but it went really bad, okay? So um, at some point, I have to break the news to him. He was in college. 
No, that's not true. That's not true. I don't know how long. It was a day or two. I had to, I had to say to him, son, I need to tell you. And he looked at me disappointed, as you can imagine. And he literally, it's like, dad, how could you? How could you do that to me? Son, because I'm an idiot. And I had no idea. If that's where the story ended, it would be awesome. Just forget about it and let's grow up and move on. But Jeremy, I don't know if you know this, but he became a preacher. He's a preacher. Preachers like to tell stories. And one of the stories Jeremy likes to tell is why he has dad issues. And this story always comes out when he's going to talk about, you know, just the, the fun of growing up in our house. And so he was preaching one day in our church, and uh, he told that story. This is years later. He's, you know, he's way beyond college, and he preaches. He tells this story about this autograph of Oral Hershizer. People in the church going, your dad, I can't believe him. What would make him do that? I don't know. I'm an idiot. He tells that story. Well, there's a guy in the audience named Mark Rita who was, uh, a, a, and I probably don't remember this exactly right, executive producer, broadcast producer, or something for Diamondbacks Baseball and also Fox Sports. And he hears this story, and he goes, I cannot believe your dad did that to you. And I said, all I needed, right? I already feel horrible. And so he's listening, and he's going, that's just wrong. That's wrong on every level. It's just wrong. Well, he runs in the circles where he uh, visits with other announcers, and Oral Hershiser is an announcer. So he's sitting somewhere with Oral, and he goes, can I tell you a story my preacher did? He tells Oral Hershiser what I did. And Oral Hershiser goes, that's the saddest thing I think I've ever heard a dad ever do. And so Oral uh, said, look, let's make this right. So Oral, um, Oral autographed the baseball. <laughs> I want to read this. It says, to Jeremy, this is the real deal. <laughs> Oral Hershiser. So Jeremy gets up. And says, you know, a while back I told you a story about what my dad did. And he goes, can I tell you the rest? As he tells this whole story about how he's got this ball now from Oral Hersizer. And then he, he caps the story off. He says this, what, Dad, what you meant for harm, God meant for good. <laughs> it comes straight from the book of Genesis. And then I had to get up and say, son, I got your Oral Hersizer signature. One way or the other, you got it. And I took credit for it. No, that's good. Okay. I, I want to use that as an explanation for something that is very real and relevant to us today. We are living in a world of counterfeits. That's, that's what that was. That was a counterfeit, and uh, we live in this world all the time. We could spend hours talking about this. I'm not going to do that just for the sake of the fact that I think we all understand this. But this is the dilemma of which we are all facing I have here two pairs of shoes. These are both Air Jordans, all right? One of these cost $120 when they were purchased. One of them cost $20 when they were purchased. One of them is real, and one of them is, is a Chinese knockoff. Now, I don't know how sharp of an eye you have for shoes, but if you had to pick, you know, this has detailing on it. This does not have. It's got... Uh, the 23 is on the back. It's not on these. It's got Air Jordan stitched into it on the back and on the side. This has a, looks like a molded label. And, and so if you were to just judge, you would just go, I don't know, it looks like, and I don't know which one you choose. These are the frauds. These are the genuine. Now, 
somebody who knows shoes would be able to figure that out really quickly, but the rest of us are like, I don't know. I, I don't know which would be real. I don't know. But we live in a world in which we're constantly having to assess what's true, what's fake. And, and, and this, it, it becomes very, very much a part of what we're going to talk about today. Um, the opposite of a counterfeit would be what we would call genuine. It would be genuine. Let me make sure we understand a definition of genuine. I'm just going to read this from dictionary.com. All right, genuine, two definitions. Possessing the claimed or attributed character, quality, or origin. Not counterfeit, authentic, real. Free from pretense, affectation, or hypocrisy. Sincere, sincere. See, see, my Bible which I've had for 15 years probably. I don't know how long I've had this Bible, but it's held up really, really well because right there it says genuine leather. Genuine leather, you know, it's durable, it's real, it's going to last. It's not bonded leather. If you have a bonded leather Bible, you might see the cover coming off. So it says it's genuine, but how do I know it's genuine when you buy it? You have to trust somebody who's telling you something and then you, you know, use your own eyes to see it. Now, I want to just give you a simple kind of contrast between genuine. All right? If something counterfeit is not what it appears to be, something genuine is exactly what it appears to be. It's just a simple little framework that we're going to work from. If counterfeit is not what it appears to be, genuine, it is what it appears to be. Genuine is real, authentic, sincere. And I guess you could say it this way. That which is counterfeit will always be cheap. That which is genuine will always be valuable. Now, here's the point I want to make. No one ever counterfeits cheap things. No one ever counterfeits something that's not valuable. You only counterfeit something that has value. So we live in a world where you, 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 you might come across a counterfeit $100 bill because a $100 bill is valuable. So if we can counterfeit it, you, you might come across a counterfeit Rolex watch. You, you might run across a counterfeit diamond. It's cubic zirconium, but you didn't know that, and you thought, and then a jeweler goes, you got to be kidding, this is fake. We live in a world of this kind of deception. All deception is, is counterfeit truth. That's all it is. It's just counterfeiting truth. And, and we live in a world where all kinds of things are peddled, all so, kinds of things. You know, I could look at my Louis Vuitton purse. You know, that's, that's not Louis Vuitton. Look, look at this, 100% silk. Look at this, 100% wool. That's not silk, that's not wool, all right? Now, talking about things that get counterfeited. Now, I'm gonna take a, I'm gonna take a turn here, listen carefully. There is nothing you possess in your life more valuable whether you understand this or not, than your faith. There's nothing worth more. There is nothing that's going to carry you further, float you higher, sustain you longer than your faith in God. There is nothing more valuable, and there is nothing more often counterfeited than faith in God. People fake it all the time. It's because it's valuable, and we know it's valuable. Um, when, when somebody does this, we have a word that we use. The word is, well, we call it hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. You know, the, the whole idea of pretending to be something that you're not, it's very, very real. It's very, very prevalent. I, I, I don't think there's very many things that are more repulsive to God than counterfeiting his faith, 
genuine faith. I don't, I just think, I, how, why do I think that? Let me just walk you quickly through a couple of passages. Now, you might be going, hey, pastor, I thought we were going to start the book of James. What are we doing in Acts? Oral Hershiser curveball coming at you. Okay? Uh, we're going to get to James. We're only going to look at one verse in James. I'm going to do it at the very end. I need to make sure you understand why we're studying the book of James. So let me just take you to Acts chapter 5. This, is, uh, this was a day in church one time. Uh, there was a, a, not many days in church like this day. So Acts chapter 5, I'm going to begin reading verse 1. I'll just tell you what happened. You might be familiar with this story. It's an interesting story. It's a word uh, from God that might want to cause us to pause a little bit. Here is what it says. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. Let me put the word also in there to explain it, because in the end of the last chapter, you started to realize the church was booming, and people were going, I want to give to this. I want to help resource this. I want to make sure this lasts and it gets spread. And so they were sacrificing. They were selling all kinds of things. One of the most valuable things people were selling were pieces of property, and they were saying, hey, I want to give this to the church. That's what's happening. So Ananias, they also sold a piece of property. That's what that told you, all right? Now, with his wife's full knowledge... He kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, right now, you should be going, "Uh uh-oh, something's going on here. What's he doing? Uh, Yeah, see, he's going to try to fake sincerity here. He's going to try to fake the, uh, the, the Spirit of God. He's going to try to juke Peter, okay? Then Peter said, because God pinged Peter in his heart, Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept yourself some of the money you received for the land. Now listen to what he says. Listen, it's important. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. Yeah, see, the point is, Ananias, you could have brought half of the proceeds and said, we sold a piece of property. We're going to use half for another thing we're interested in, but we want to give this half to the church. That's not what he did. He gave it. He, said, he kept half and he said, this is all we got. We're giving everything because he wanted to be in on the praise that was going around about those people. And you know what they did? You know what those, that family, you know what this family did? And they wanted to be counted among the donors, the charitable, you know, generous, uh, God-minded. And Peter goes, nope. When Ananias heard this, get ready, get ready. He fell down and died. Kind of gives you cause to pause, right? I think twice before I go to church. All right, listen what happens. Um, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. I love that. You think? You suppose? I, I'm, I'm guessing it would, okay? Then some young men came forward and wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. Now, now about three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. See, there was a buzz going on about what happened to Ananias, but it never got to Sapphira. So his wife is brought in, and uh, no idea. And Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? And she said, uh, yes, that is the price, which it's not, all right? Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At, at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. 
And then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And then I think one of the most understated verses in the Bible follows. I just love this. It's kind of part two of what happened after Ananias. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. I imagine the offering the next week was probably the biggest in the church's history. <laughs> How could you lie? What made you think you could get away with this? You see, we tend to bring into the church the mindsets that we have in the world. We tend to think this is how it operates. This is how the world works. This is not how the world works in the church. The church is not emulating the world. Let me, like I show you something else though. Um, just talking about how, how this repulses God. You just go quickly over, turn to the left here. Go over to Matthew chapter 23. Go to Matthew 23. I just gotta show you this fast. I think it's fair to say that there is nothing more repulsive to God than counterfeiting faith. And uh, there is nothing more repulsive to God than plastic, well, uh, you know, Christianity, plastic belief, you know, fake. All right. So in Matthew chapter 23, you get this warning uh, that Jesus is going to give us about being phony, all right? So this is what it says. Let me, let me show you. Matthew 23, let's start with verse one. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, meaning from the authority of Moses. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you because what they told you is true. But do not do what they do for they do not practice what they preach. This is Jesus calling out the most religious people, the ones that everyone would look at and go, oh, if I could only be spiritual like them. Jesus goes, hey, do what they say, but don't do what they do because they don't do what they say they do. Now, that's pretty, pretty sharp. That's pretty stark. And, and then if you just keep working your way down, just real fast, just look down in your Bible. Look at verse 13. 13, 13 begins, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. He calls them out on a point. Verse 15, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Go down to verse 16, woe to you, blind guides. And then he lays into them. Look down at verse 23, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. And he's just nailing them on point after point after point. But the, the most severe thing he says, look down, look down here at verses 25. And 26, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean also. He just calls him out. He goes, you're filthy. I know what's going on, but nothing is stronger than I think verses 23 down, uh, 27 and down to 28 of chapter 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Wow, that is scathing. Jesus goes right at him and just goes, who do you think you're fooling? Because he here's the deal. They're fooling everybody but God. Because everybody but God knows what's actually going on. Yeah, let me paraphrase. If you didn't get what Jesus was saying is, you are not what you're appearing to be. You are not who you are presenting yourself to be. And it's a strong indictment. You kind of get the sense that God despises deception. Why would that be? Why would God despise deception? Well, deception is the counterfeit of truth. 
Here's why God, again, listen, this is really simple, but it's real important. Why does God despise deception? Because God is truth. His nature is true. Everything he touches is true. His world is true. It's real. It's authentic. It's genuine. And so when anyone comes along and tries to pose off as something that he knows is not true, he immediately, immediately recognizes that's fake. That's not real. That's not genuine. Um, in uh, John 17, 17, Jesus said this prayer. He said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Okay, now, now, listen, look, look at me. Look at me. Okay, where we are. God never will lie to you. I, I know you have to take that on faith, and you have to wrestle with it, but he'll never lie to you. He's never going to intentionally deceive you. And, and, and we, we say, you can't handle the truth. But the only thing God handles is the truth. All deception is a counterfeit. And he's aware of it, and he sees it. Now, let me just put a little par- kind of parenthesis here. Folks, we're living in an incredibly deceptive age, and you didn't need to come to church to hear that discovered. I mean, we live in a, we live in a, a world where, you know, depending on what you watch in, in terms of news, it's going to give you an idea of what they say is happening. And I, I'm not taking any side on anything. I'm just going. You, your, your day-to-day life now is trying to discern, is this real? Is this real? Is this, did this really happen? What, what is it? And we, we live in an age of fake news and spin and deflection and intentional deception. And, and I, I just want to make a pastoral comment on our country. All right? If you were ever inclined to want to pray for the welfare of this country, now would be a great time. Because truth matters and deception destroys. And we're in trouble, folks, because we have grown accustomed to deception. And I'm not making any political statement about any political thing. I'm talking about the system which which we live in. Pray for your country. Because truth matters. Whatever is true matters. What's, What's deception? It's counterfeiting truth. Now, leave that. Let's go to the book of James. Okay, I told you we we're going to get to the book of James. I'm almost done here. So just jump over to the book of James. Now you got some idea of what we're going to talk about in the book of James. We're going to talk about authentic Christianity. We're going to talk about real Christianity. We're going to talk about what faith ought to do to you in the way you live your life. It, it, it's kind of how you can sniff out what's, you know, what's authentic and what's you know, counterfeit. When somebody's pulling one over on you, James is going to help us discern that. But again, today, all we got to do is just look at one, one, uh, one verse. You see, the theme of the book of James that we're going to look at is living the, a genuine life. Living a genuine life. And that, you'll hear that over and over again. But the book of James just begins with a simple verse. This is what it says. But I just want to make sure that we understand who we're listening to and what's happening here. So it says this in James 1.1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. That's it. That's our verse for today. Okay? James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Now, who's James? Now, James is a very popular name in the Bible. There's a number of James. I don't have time to show you each one, but but I want to just say this. Just 
let's just go with this. This is the common understanding. James is the brother of Jesus, okay? And you've been going, brother of Jesus? I didn't know Jesus had any brothers. Yeah, he's identified a number of times as the brother of Jesus, okay? Now, let me go, no, 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 no. Listen, okay? I, I know we get this idea, you know, Mary, you know, uh, immaculate, you know, all of this. Perpetual. Okay, I get all that, all right? But if you just read, it can't quite be like that, okay? Here's why. Like Mark 6, 3 says, isn't this the carpenter? They're talking about Jesus. Isn't this the carpenter, Jesus? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. This is, this is Mary's son. You know, Mary, they, they live down the lane. You know, the, the white house with the picket fence. Them. And uh, look, we know his brothers. This can't, you see, you see the word was building that he was more than he appeared to be. And, and people were catching on going, who is this guy? Uh, I want to show you something. Uh, James, the brother of Je- one of the brothers of Jesus, he wasn't a believer. I need you to know that. He didn't buy it. He didn't drink it. Okay? He's like, uh-uh. And, and, and in all fairness to James, I've laughed about this many times. If you had a brother who said, hey, just so you know, I'm the son of God, you'd be skeptical. Fair? So it's not like he's out there. He's just like, yeah, bro, whatever. But, but James, you know, he's got, got questions. Let me just show you. He's not a fan of his brother, much less is he a believer in his brother. Mark 3.21, it says, When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. So the family shows up to kind of go, Jesus, we got to get you, we got to get you help, man. You got this Messiah thing going on, and we got to, he can't help himself. Let's take charge of him. Okay, I just need you to see this. Uh, John 7, I think it's so sarcastic, it's funny to me. John 7, 3 says, Jesus' brother said to him, this pure sarcasm, Hey, Mr. Messiah in the making, what are you doing back here in the hills of Galilee? Why don't you hit the strip in Vegas so you can get your name in lights and get known? That's not exactly how it reads, but that's the point. Jesus' brother said to him, leave Galilee and go to Judea. That's where Jerusalem is, all right? So that your disciples may see all the works you do. Now, no one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. Come on, hit the big time, bro. Put your name up in lights in Jerusalem. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. So, hey, man, you've got some questions about Jesus. You're a little skeptical, a little cynical. (laughs) Just like the family of Jesus, all right? Except something changed. Something changed. And I need to make sure you see what changed. Something clicked inside of James and his brothers, by the way. But you know, what happened? Because well, let, let me show you, all right? Let me just show you. Um, this thing happened that we celebrate every springtime called the resurrection. Now, the resurrection would change your mind if your brother you thought he was the Messiah, and, and, then, and then they killed him, they crucified him, they buried him, and then you had a conversation with him a day or two later, you would go, okay, maybe I missed, maybe I was a little quick. 
Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 6 says, after that, he, Jesus, appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, his own brother, appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also, Paul says, as to one abnormally born on the road to Damascus. Here's what you need to understand about James. We picked this up in the book of Galatians when we were there in the springtime. James becomes the head of the church in Jerusalem years after Jesus rose from the dead. He changed his whole life. He changed his whole orientation. He became a believer. He quit the, the, the sarcasm and the cynicism about his brother, and he became a believer. He became a follower of his own brother. He becomes a head of the church, and in Jerusalem, he's the man he is the man. And I, this is a point I want to make here, so stay with me. Uh, Acts 15, 12, and 13. The whole assembly became silent as this is what's called the Jerusalem Council. This is that issue of Judaism that we were talking about in the book of Galatians when Paul and Barnabas had to go get, get a hearing from the leaders of the church, of the leaders of the church led by James, the brother of Jesus. All right? The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Why, why does that matter? Because he's the voice that matters. He's the one. Also, just so you know, whenever you come across in the Bible, uh, James, this James, he, he, he was nicknamed James the Just. If you ever see that, James the Just. It's not biblical, but it was the, the moniker. This guy, you can count on him. He's just. He was also, by the way, they called him old camel knees. He, 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 they say he spent so much time on his knees in prayer, he developed calluses on his knees. So they nicknamed him old camel knees. That's this guy. Now, why am I telling you all that? I just want you to see James 1.1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's my question. Wouldn't you drop in there? James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is my personal brother, right? Wouldn't you drop that in there? Hey, uh, just so you know, I'm not just any James. I am the brother of Jesus James. You see, he's got credentials he can just drop and everyone go, oh, well, back up, that's brother Jesus. He could easily be revered for his family. He didn't drop any of that. He's not leading into the conversation we're going to have with, you know who I am? I'm kind of a big deal. I'm the brother of Jesus. Okay? Just so you know, he didn't do it. Yeah, I'm just a servant the Lord of God and of the Lord Jesus. That's all. In other words, I'm not going to lead with my identity. I'm going to lead with my integrity. Huge difference with what he's going to talk about. And by the way, he just says, to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Just so you understand, the 12 tribes scattered abroad are not the 12 tribes of the Old Testament. He's not writing to Old Testament audience. He's writing to us, the Israel of God, as, James, as Paul concluded the book of the Israel of God. This is the fulfillment of that which... God established in the old and brought to fulfillment in Jesus. So 12 tribes abroad, of which you're a part. It's called the church. So I'm writing to the church. All right? All right. Now, we'll pick this up next week, and uh, you're going to see why all this matters. But uh, before I close, i got to read one more verse. I'm just going to read it. We won't study it. James 5, 16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. We're going to talk about 
confession. And so I just thought I'd end this message with the same way I began. I began by telling you a really stupid thing I did with a baseball. I wish that were the only really stupid thing I did with a baseball or with my son, but it's not the only stupid thing I've ever done. I just got to tell you about one more. I'll tell it really quick. All right. Uh, so when Jeremy was probably about two years old, uh, I think we were getting ready to move. And um, I was in the attic pulling boxes and he was in the garage helping me kind of go through the boxes. We're trying to figure out what, you know, we're going to get rid of whatever. And we opened up a box. And again, he's two years old. And right at the top of the box are these pair of ski mittens, uh, leather ski mittens. Okay. And he goes, Dad, what are those? And I explained to him, I said, they're, they're to keep your hands warm when you're out in the cold and when you go skiing. He goes, can I wear them? So I put these mittens on and they took up his whole arm. He's just a little kid. He, he goes, look, Daddy, look, look at me. And he was just as cute and as adorable as he could be. And I said, you got to go show your mom. And, and so um, I opened the door. He goes, and I, I, I'm in the garage, but this is what I picture. You know, he's just running down the hallway with his mittens. Oh. And my wife, Lisa, was in the back bedroom. She, uh, she was talking on the phone. And by the way, phones used to have cords. You're kind of stuck. And so she's sitting on the side of the bed and she's talking to someone, and Jeremy comes around the corner, and he's just all excited. Look at me, look at me, look at me. And so he, he goes, and, and, and she uh, apparently didn't really uh, see him or notice him or whatever. She's on, in a conversation. Don't fall her. But um, meanwhile, while all this is going on, and he's trying to get her attention, I stay looking in that box, and I find it. I find it. I've been looking for this thing forever. It was a mask that I had bought a year or two before, a Halloween mask. I was a youth pastor. This was an important tool. And I saw this thing. I don't know how to describe it. It had this, all this really disheveled hair and gore and all this messed up face. And it had this eyeball hanging out on the cheek and socket. And it was awesome. It was a genuine, real Halloween mask. And I couldn't find it. And now I found it. And I couldn't help myself. I put it on. And I'm tugging and trying to get it because it's a real mask. And then <laughs> I open the door and I start down the hallway and I'm growling and I'm walking down the hallway and I just got to find a little guy. And I come around the corner and he's just like, <laughs> and I growl. He, he screamed. He screamed really loud. He, he was terrified. He was so loud, immediately my wife turns from the phone, looks at him, tries to figure out what just happened. She turns and looks at me. And she gives me that look that only a wife can give you. You know, like, you are the biggest idiot. What have you done? And he, she's then, hang on, hang on, hang on. And she's trying to comfort Jeremy. You know, it's okay, it's okay. And I'm just going, get the mask off. And I am trying my, have you ever tried to pull a Halloween mask off when you're in a panic? It's really hard. And I'm trying, it's just, it's your, it's just your, it's your dad. It's just your dad. He's an idiot. I'm sorry. And, and I finally get, and then if he, uh, he didn't say this, but when finally he sees it's me, I know what he's thinking. And this is what he's thinking. Dad, how could you? How could you? This is the same thing. Dad, how could you? Nobody likes to be deceived. Nobody likes to experience a counterfeit. What would church look like 
if we all just committed, all masks come off before we come in. All masks come off. Church can be one of the most dishonest places you'll ever spend time. How about we commit not to? We're not going to do that. We just take the mask off and say, hey, yeah, this is, the real, this is my real struggle. This is my real issue. This is the thing I'm being kicked in the butt by. This is the thing that's hurting my marriage right now. What if we formed communities of people that could just be that genuine? Because if we don't, I think God would look at us and go, what were you thinking? I don't know, man. I really wasn't. What if we did? Let me pray. So God, uh, thanks for your word and just kind of helping us to realize that we can fool one another, but we'll never fool you. And I will never fool you. And God, keep that very much in front of me. But not just me, every one of us. God, I don't want to play church. I don't want to play at faith. I don't want to counterfeit that which is real with something cheap. God, so help me to sort this out in my day-to-day life. As I ask you, help every single person sort it out. Thank you, God, for who you are. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. John. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our hope is that you are left inspired and challenged to continue to grow in your faith. If you are looking for more from Central, follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. See you next time. Until then, go be the church.